Hello, I'm Jason Solomon, and welcome to another star-studded edition of Sounds Jewish, the podcast that even mothers love. Well, mine does. In this month's show, is Howard Jacobson winning the Booker Prize with an avowedly, intensely Jewish novel, The Finkler Question, part of a wider trend? Has Jewish life suddenly gone mainstream in the British arts? We'll be joined by the creators of Birds of a Feather, the much-loved Lawrence Marks and Morris Grant to discuss their new play, Von Ribbentrop's Watch, as well as by one of the stars of Mike Lee's Jewish play, 2000 Years, the actress Alexis Zegman. I'll be looking at Jewish identity on British television and asking, do we really sound like this? You are joking, aren't you? Tell me you're joking. You're joking, aren't you? Are you? Are you joking? What's the problem? It's the only thing that gives me joy. I haven't got a life. I can't eat crisps. Rebecca Front giving her take on the modern Jewish mother in BBC sitcom Grandma's House. This is Sounds Jewish from The Guardian. Shalom, shalom. Off out, are we? No, we're not. I am. Matthew. Square jaw, broad shoulders, great buns. He's a biker. (laughs) No, a model. He did the underwear campaign. His crutch was plastered all over the central line. What does a sexy male model want with the likes of you? Youth is always attracted to experience, Sharon. I could show Matthew things he's never dreamed of. Uh, Your ration book from the war. I shall be sipping martinis at Christopher's at seven, eating dinner at Quaglino's at eight, and then, with any luck, I'll be licking Petit Fours off his midriff by midnight. <laughs> the unmistakable voice of Dorian Green, played by actress Leslie Joseph in Birds of a Feather, as well as Pauline Quirk and Linda Robson as Sharon and Tracy in the background there, of course. The series may be over 20 years old by now, but its combination of suburban drudgery and glamour now sounds as sharp and funny as it did back then. Lawrence Marks and Maurice Grant are, of course, the men behind some of TV's greatest ever hit shows, Shine on Harvey Moon, The New Statesman, Goodnight Sweetheart, and, of course, Birds of a Feather. Their new play, Von Ribbentrop's Watch, was produced in partnership with the Oxford Playhouse. Oxford, no less. Already. Amazing. Uh, The action mostly takes place around the kitchen table of a typical suburban Jewish family home in Pinner. There are rows about marrying in and marrying out. There's the shadow of the Holocaust not very far away. And to cap it all off, it takes place on Seder night, the first night of the Passover. You don't get much more Jewish than that. Certainly not on the British stage. Gentlemen, uh, did you feel some kind of uh, duty or bravery in putting out such a Jewish piece of work uh, and then getting it to tour around the British regions, Lawrence? There was never any objection or any obstruction to us doing it for Oxford, is where we wanted to do it, right. um, uh, or that it would tour around Britain um, because we essentially felt it was a family saga. It was a family moral dilemma and that could have played equally as well in Glasgow as it would have done in, in Bournemouth. Um, the, the, the kind of dramatic uh, sort of centrepiece, apart from that family drama, is von Ribbentrop's watch. Lawrence, can you just tell us uh, the, basically what device that is? Well, what happened was in 1985 I bought a second-hand watch, which I was quite content to wear until the year of 2002, on and off. Then it went wrong. Then I took it to a City of London watchmaker, who discovered that, in fact, it had these initials engraved in the back of the watch, JVR, swastika, date. I took it to Sotheby's. It was authenticated by Longines in Geneva. 
and instead of a watch being worth about $250, it was now worth £50,000 or more. And so I thought I'd sell it, or, and sell it and give the money to a Jewish charity, but the two Jewish charities I tried to give the money to wouldn't take they it. They just didn't want it because it was... Not, not once I told them where it came from. Mm. They'd have been happy to have taken it had I not said, but I had something else I think you should know about this tainted money I'm about to give you. And so when you, when you saw that, when you had that kind of almost a dramatic epiphany, opening up your watch and finding it belonged to Hitler's foreign secretary... Yes, that's right. Did you think, well, there's a story in here... Morris actually said, put the watch away and let's write a play. There was unquestionably a story. I mean, if a Jew is suddenly landed with a Nazi artefact that's worth a lot of money, what do you do with it? Mm. I mean, I wear it. I mean, I don't sort of wave it around and say, look at this, belong to von Ribbentrop. Although, of course, the watch is now probably better known than I am. Yes, and where, where is the actual watch itself? It's in a bank vault. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> they're here today. You're like those Everton footballers whose houses always get robbed when they're playing matches. No, no, this won't get robbed. Um, and I'm sure that if anybody stole the watch, they really wouldn't know what to do with it. Yeah, absolutely. Does it keep good time? I'm sure it did. Better. Yeah. Um, it, it was, I mean, it's great material, obviously, but why did you choose to make it into a stage play? I mean, you, obviously you've got such a wonderful track record on British television. Uh, could this... Is this a sort of dry run for a TV drama, or is it no. too Jewish for television? No, it's, it's, it's not because it's too Jewish, although it might be. It's because, firstly, we are you know, very enamoured of the theatre right now, and we're trying to do most of our work for stage. Secondly, it's a self-contained piece. It's not... Even we would have difficulty turning it into a series. But it is interesting that, you, that, that this is a, a, an extremely Jewish uh, material. And I, I do, I, when I say I think it might be too Jewish for television, as you said, as a one-off, although, of course, The Mitzvah Boy was a one-off, and mm. that still gets played now. Um, where, how, how you, you know, most of your material, we heard, obviously, from, from Dorian there, most yeah. of your characters in, in, in your hugely successful and long-running TV careers have not been Jewish, or if well, they have, you don't mention it. They, they have. I mean... I was thinking when I was listening to Dorian, who I haven't heard for a long time, that when we went back to Shine on Harvey Moon, of course, Harvey and his mother moved into the home of a Jewish-Austrian refugee couple that had got out in '38. Good night, sweetheart. There was Jewish characters. So you think you've got troubles was about a Jewish, about a Jewish businessman in Northern Ireland who couldn't understand what sectarian violence was all about. Um, We've always had more than a Wall of Silence was a film about a murder in the Hasidic community. When you say a fair sprinkling, though, but you, you, they've always been sort of on the sort on and sort of side characters. Yeah, could, you, could you have pitched a TV series and sort of said we, it's about the, and, and gone in and said even to Michael Gray when he was at the BBC, well, it's about this Jew. It, well, we, we did, did, we did. I mean, Mike, actually, to Michael Gray, we wrote our second series we ever wrote as television writers in about 1981 it was called Roots, about a Jewish family. The, um, whose central character was a dentist. I like it. <laughs> what did he say? Well, the, the public didn't. <laughs> and the public didn't like it, probably. Michael said, I'm pulling this off after three weeks and I'll play it on Sunday afternoons. It was quite clear to us that the, Jew, the, the public were not prepared to watch a Jewish, solely Jewish comedy um, about a culture they didn't understand. When we wrote Harvey Moon months later... Any Jews we put in it would be what you might call secondary characters. About sort of uh, creating those characters that you, you do, and let's talk about von, von uh, Ribbentrop's watch. Um, you have uh, the Jewish grandmother in there, Lila, or yes. Mrs. Roth, as well. Um, 
you know, are you are you looking to sort of play the Jewishness differently throughout those generations? You've got a Jewish grandmother, you've got a young Jewish girl called Sasha, yeah. and I'm going to bring our other guest Alexis Segerman on there because she's play, she plays young Jewish people now. Okay. Uh, and it, and it's a question about you can normally see in a Jewish play you go in and sort of someone will talk a bit like that, and then then should it get less as generations go yeah. on? Because it, that, it's hard. It's, to it's the true markers. that people do. I mean, I was very conscious that when I was watching rehearsals and hearing the if you like, the Jewish rhythms of Lila, how they differed from the Jewish rhythms of Gerald, her son, and the Jewish rhythms of Sasha. And I'm sure that a young Jew of the age of Sasha would speak far more street than she would Jewish. And I think that the rhythms of Lila, a woman in her 70s, would have really come from... A Russian culture. She was really based on Auntie Sadie, as far as I'm concerned, and and my aunt and indeed my mother and all the other women of that generation all tried very hard to speak correctly. They certainly would have hated to be thought that they spoke with what I was what used to be called a Peruvian accent. <laughs> a Peruvian yes. accent. Yes. Now, when I was a little boy, and I I talked really Jewish, apparently, which made everyone laugh, and they said. He's got a Peruvian accent. They're obviously not aware of this. And I once and I Googled it, and apparently a lot yeah. of Jews got lost on the way to America end up in Peru. Paddington, maybe. So, so there you are, I guess. <laughs> I don't Claiming know. Claiming him now. So, so, in fact, Mrs. Roth tries to speak RP as much as she can. Gives herself away occasionally, but she's certainly not waving her arms around. Mm-hmm. But there's know. something there's something, there, there, when jokes come, there is a particular. Yes. Well, uh, jokes I, are about rhythm, you mm. see. I mean, Dorian's rhythm was exactly the same as Mrs. Roth's. When we gave Dorian to Leslie Joseph uh, on paper, that here's the script, she just knew the music. And I said to Morris after a couple of performances of Von Ribbentrop's Watch um, that this is a New York play. This would work much better in in New York, in the Bronx, in New Jersey, than it would in Oxford and Salisbury. There's a wonderful bit where, where, where the wife says to him, well, if business is going downhill, mm. and he says, it's not going downhill. She goes, well, it's not going uphill. Yeah, so that, which is, and, gets, she's, and she's a convert. Yeah, exactly. So she gets the rhythms yeah. as well. I'm going to bring Alexis in here, because Alexis, um, Zegerman, she played um, uh, the Jewish daughter. She played the sort of Sasha role, I suppose, in Mike Lee's 2000 Years at the National We Theater. copied it. We copied it completely. <laughs> uh, and, and you played it. I mean, she was a sort of linguist student well language student wasn't it that's but, right but yeah. was it you are a young Jewish actress isn't it you know congratulations thank you <laughs> just like Jews, Jews anonymous much. here my did name my is mom Alexis. tell you to say that <laughs> um, um obviously I play a, um, a range of roles and and for Mike's play I you know I got to got to play a, a Jewish character um and and of course you're tapping into your inner sensibility of Jewishness which which you have and as a as a young Jew growing up obviously you don't um, you, you're not sort of steeped in the the tradition that um, perhaps your grandmother character t- has, you know, in, in the play, but you do come with an inner core sensibility of knowing that you're Jewish, of the Jewish humour that that gives you, of the rhythms, and certainly as a writer, which I am and I know we'll speak about later, um, that definitely comes out in my writing, whether I'm writing about Jewish subjects which I do sometimes but but mostly not Mm. but obviously there is always going to be a core there of Jewish humour. I've said this often when Morris and I sat down to write Von Ribbentrop's Watch we didn't sit down to write a comedy it Mm. just once you bring Jews into this any given scene it's hard not to. I remember when we made the first Birds of a Feather and Dorian came in having had a crisis because her 
kitchen had flooded or something. I can't remember. It's all blanked out my mind now. Um, how quickly she got a laugh. The moment she came in, I've got this terrible crisis. The German, the au pair let in, you know, she's German and the whole bit. And it's interesting that it's hard to write Jews very seriously, even in Pinter plays. Uh, you're, you, if you're going to laugh, and he was a funny writer, you'll laugh at his Jewish characters. Mm. The it, pianist it, didn't have much of a laugh well, track on it. Well, <laughs> and it's interesting because Mike, Mike Lee, who you work with often, is a, is a comedian, and it, I think people will often don't know that he's a Jewish comedian. In fact, his, his play 2000 Years was one of the first times he'd ever really addressed his, his Jewish roots in, in Britain. He's actually from the same area of Manchester as Howard Jacobson, I think. Right. Uh, and I think they're quite different in their kind of, you know, in, in wearing their Jewishness in various ways. Um, you worked with him very closely on that. Was there a sense, did he ever let in to you that this was kind of him kind of looking at the way he, he views uh, Judaism? Well, I, I can't talk on Mike's behalf, obviously, but I, I mean, for me, uh, the play um, was about um, uh, Jewishness and about the disappointment in Israel. There's lots of discussions about Israel and about, about what Israel had become. And the family um, were very verbose and very verbal about, um, about Jewishness and... Um, that about Zionism and about funda- you know about re- religious fundamentalism because obviously um, my character's brother um, becomes a slightly sort of you know re- religious mm. zealot in a way he um, he take you know he takes on Judaism and uh, there's a scene where he um, is praying davening in a corner and the family find him and obviously it's uh, it's all hell breaks loose um, and um, and it's a discussion on um, on the way that um, secular families, of which there are many in this country, look upon Israel and look upon, um, you know, religiousness. But it's very interesting talking about 2,000 years, you know, that that, that it was a debatey play and, and of course, we didn't, if you're not careful, you just end up talking about it. Mm. Uh, I do think there's a sense that if one goes to see a Jewish work here in in England, mm. people expect you to kind of talk about Israel. Whereas, in fact... Yes. The Jewish culture that you and yes. I probably spring from is not Israel-based. You know, as a, as a young um, Jewish playwright, um, but or just as a playwright who happens to be Jewish, and obviously I've written a number of plays, um, one of which had a Jewish character in it, but I don't feel pressured to talk about issues of Jewishness. I mean, I do... I long for a time when there, when there might be characters, families in, in plays, in TV, where... The, where it's not an issue-based thing, and that's why I think I know we'll go on to talk about Grandma's House. I think Grandma's House really achieves that, where it's not, you know, it, it's not about the issues, it's not about the weight of, of victimhood and about what's happened in the past, but just about being and living yeah. in, in present-day Britain. Grandma's House was launched in August on the BBC, written by and starring Simon Amstel, who was famous as the television host of the quiz show Nevermind the Buzzcocks. Set in his grandma's house somewhere in North London suburbia, uh, Simon played himself a TV presenter who one day decided to give up his high-profile job, much to the annoyance and chagrin of his mother. In the first show, he announces the news to his overbearing, slightly shrill mother, played by the actor and comedian and writer Rebecca Front, and to his grandma, played by Linda Bassett. You are joking, aren't you? Tell me you're joking. You're joking, aren't you? Are you? Are you joking? What's the problem? It's the only thing that gives me joy. I haven't got a life. I can't eat crisps. Just tell me you're joking. Are you joking? Shh, just stop talking. He's probably just joking. Is he? Does he want a banana, maybe? 
Mum, sit down, hovering all the time. Mm. Huh? Mustn't hover. Yeah. He says he's quitting his show. Oh, God, I'm so tired. I don't enjoy it anymore. But Michaeluki group, that's all we talk about. Lawrence Marks at Morris Grand. Uh, what, what did you think? Did you recognise those characters? Well, I only watched the first episode. And what was missing for it from me was an audience. An actual laughter track? Absolutely. Mm. Not a track, an audience. A real live studio a, a audience. A studio yeah, there audience. Are, there, uh, can I say here and now to all people listening, Jewish and Gentile, there is no such thing as a laughter track. If people are laughing, it's because there are people there. This is in, on British television. Yeah, on, British, this and on American television. On British television. They may, be, they may be hysterical by the time they start laughing, but nonetheless, it's not a laughter track. Was, it, was the family unit believable? Because there again, we have the generations. We had the, the grandmother played by Linda Bassett, who kind of offered a banana yeah. in times of crisis. Yeah. That, would, that would solve everything. <laughs> uh, and then you had the, the a, a sort of interesting non-playing of the Jewish character by Simon Amstel himself, who was also a, a gay character as well, yeah. as he's in real life. He, he sort of didn't act. I remember we'll turn to the actress, sir. Uh, here, Alexis. He sort of went the sort of, I suppose, the Jerry Seinfeld route, where you kind of, well, I'm not really going to actually get into the role of a character here. Yeah, I, I mean, I have to say, first off, I loved Grandma's House. Um, I didn't mind that Simon Amstel was slightly in a different, um, you know, kind of TV thing to everybody else. Um, I, I totally went with it. I, I thought the writing was incredibly clever. I mean, for me, it was, it was a true um, family situation um, that. I kind of felt, you know, uh, Jew- the Jewish thing, let's, you know, sort of face it, I-, I felt it was more the royal family than Fiddler on the Roof. I mean, you know, Absolutely. So, f- so for me, and and I could see it in its specificity. I mean, I, I really hope it gets a second series, and I'm worried that it won't, uh, because people think that it might be too Jewish. But I could see this sort of, um, you know, being re- sent out to loads of different countries, and maybe they get their sort of comedians who do their versions of Nevermind the Buzzcocks to also be in the centre of this family. Because what's the worst thing that a mother could hear? That their child's lost a job that keeps them in flowers every Friday, you know? that don't, You don't have to be Jewish to sort of get that, do you? I, 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 mean, I loved it as well, but I, I was aware of it. It was very much a, a comedy of cringe as well, which is a sort of new thing. It's not something that uh, that you as writers do, that no, cringe of recognition. It didn't make me cringe. I just was disappointed there was no audience there I felt also the central character didn't belong in the program mm. um, I applaud- yeah he wrote it and kind of devised well I was going to say you have to applaud the writer for writing it and setting it up but um, I'd have re- I would have cast someone else yeah, that would have been a sort of... But I think, that, again, that was the, the kind of conceit of it as well. I, 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 don't, I can wander through this and just... It didn't I, I seem didn't... like he belonged in that house. He, he perhaps wasn't part of that family. <laughs> but, I mean, it sort of went along with the slightly sort of outsider... Um, well, all Jewish this. characters should be outsiders, really. So, But I just felt, visually, it didn't look right. Mm. I didn't have a problem with Simon Amstel, really. I thought he was slightly feeling his way, but I quite liked him in it. I liked the aunt enormously. I thought that was the best female moustache on television. Who also I've, played my aunt. I've always liked Mantis Myro. I love the fact that it was about very small things and about the details of, of everyday life. And I really do think that it resonates far beyond its Jewishness. So, yeah. I, it has the, the character... We've talked about the sort of the different playing of the, the kind of key roles. And I suppose, as, as, it, as, it, as we're talking about Judaism, we must come back to the matriarchal role as well. Because the one trope that everyone recognises, Jew, Gentile, uh, across the board, is the Jewish mother. Now, that, that is, I suppose, a sort of a gift and a curse 
for a dramatist because you've got to make the Jewish mother role. How 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 often do you play up to it? Obviously, birds of a feather. Dorian was a Jewish character, but she wasn't a Jewish mother. She, she wasn't was a, a Jewish, Jewish mother. No, so that right. was the twist on that. Was everyone kind of refreshingly loved seeing that? That's right. I mean, you know, she she loved sex more than children. She didn't want children. She said, "I don't want my carpets to be dirty." <laughs> I mean. What happened at the time, Morris and I were going regularly to the David Lloyd Tennis Centre in Finchley. <laughs> and every single woman that came in... Not only every other woman. ...with about 500 quid's worth of equipment couldn't play tennis. But they were there to make sure they left with a coach. <laughs> and we thought, this is, Dor- this is it. I'm sorry, what was the name of that <laughs> tennis place? I think, I mean, going back to Grandma's house... Lawrence, well, we're, we're huge fans of Rebecca Front. We've worked with her a couple of times on radio. I think she's a terrific actress, and she and she was completely believable. And and, and what gave it a sort of modern twist was her concern with her sex life, which I thought was was credible. Really, she could have pitched it any way along the uh, continuum of Jewishness, from cliche to, to 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 original, because she has that ability. If anything, you know. She played it a little bit more Stanford Hill than Mill Hill. From television to film, the UK Jewish Film Festival launches on the 4th of November and lasts till the 21st of November with an impressive array of films covering subjects as diverse as Hasidic drug dealers in New York in Holy Rollers to Romeo and Juliet in Yiddish, Helen Mirren as a Mossad agent or Mensch, a French heist movie with a Jewish twist. The festival trailer this year is all about the Jewish gag. It's a short sketch written and produced by Tracy Ann Oberman and features a stellar cast from British comedians and TV celebrities, Jewish and non-Jewish. It's screened in cinemas across North and Central London and it goes a little bit like this. So, Mrs Cohen rings the Jewish Chronicle. What would you like to say, says the man in charge? It's a phone. I'd like to put an advert in your personal section. What's the message, Mrs Cohen? Maury Cohen's dead. <gasps> Mr Cohen's dead. He's not dead. 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 Maury Right, so Morris Cohen's dead. Is that all? That's all. Surely you want to put more in the message. It says it all. Well, you know you're allowed up to six words. You get another three words absolutely free. Nope, that's it. Free. For free? Right, hold on a second. I'll phone you back in half an hour. Half an hour later, she rings back. Hello. Hello, Mrs. Cohen. She says, I've had a little think, I've had a little schluff, I've had a little... Mrs. Cohen here again. <laughs> We're all ears. What are you thinking? Oh. I've got what I want to say. Morris Cohen's dead. Volvo for sale. <laughs> Morris Cohen's dead. Volvo for sale. <laughs> there you go. You get to laugh at a Jewish joke. Is that a good Jewish joke, Morris? Um, <laughs> slightly overtold. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, visually, <laughs> I know, you can see I know, it's everyone there. There's Maureen Lippman yeah. in there. There's Sanjeev Bhaskar in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. They didn't ask me. Jay Rayner got in. They didn't ask me. Yeah. Didn't Disgusting. ask you, didn't they? I think it's a grotesque stereotype and a calumny. (laughs) A Jewish joke, please, then, to rectify the balance. You got a favourite? Mrs Levy answers the phone and she says, Hello? And the man at the phone says, I know what you want. You want me to rip off your clothes. You want me to make mad, passionate love with you. 
I want to leave you lying in the pool of sweat. And Mrs. Levy says, all this you can tell from hello? <laughs> and actually, that's Lawrence's wife's favourite joke, so there you go. <laughs> there's one, there's one uh, there, there are three businessmen in the airport lounge, and they're talking about their lovemaking exploits the, the night before. Uh, Alberto from Italy says, I covered my wife in olive oil, I oil her all over, we make mad passionate love, she screamed for half an hour. And a Frenchman says, uh, I cover my wife in Normandy butter, I slather it all over her, uh, she screamed for an hour. And then uh, Maurice Cohen pipes yeah. up, he says, I cover my wife in schmaltz last night she screamed for six hours they said six hours how'd you get to do this he goes i wiped my hands on the curtains <laughs> <laughs> but there is a Jew- acting jewish joke about the young rada student who phones up his mother and says mum i've got something wonderful to tell you and he says she says what is it he said i've just got my first part and she said what is it she said i'm playing the jewish husband said, you couldn't have got a speaking part? I mean... (laughs) (laughs) Alexis. Hello. (laughs) You actually have a film that is part of the the UK Jewish Film Festival. It's being screened. uh, It's called The Honeymoon Suite. It's winner of the Pears Foundation short film. Congratulations, Mazel Tov. You you wrote it. You wrote the script. I did. Uh, You're not in it. I'm not in it, no. Which is a brave choice. Uh, Tell us about your film before we get to hear a clip. Um, Well, it's um, set in in one room. It's set in the UK could which um is it's an interesting it's a space that um couples when they're just married are ushered into um and this can happen at uh, very orthodox weddings but it also happens in in you know reform weddings um where the couple are taken um away straight after they're married for 10 minutes where they get to spend time together on their own um traditionally sort of centuries ago this this would be where they consummated the marriage um and how now long do they get in 10 minutes, <laughs> well, you know, depending on how long it took, obviously. Um, but um, now it's sort of just emblematic of, you know, being sort of far from the madding crowd and away from, a Jew- you know, your Jewish mum. And, and um, apparently they still go on, but they definitely still go on in Orthodox weddings. And, and because they last about 10 minutes, I thought, well, that is a brilliant length for a short film. So in your film, it, it, you, you kind of put it, it's sort of slightly ultra-Orthodox or, or mostly, you know, and our two characters, they don't wonder an English boy and he's marrying a sort of a French French, woman, a French girl. girl and they've and it's um, an arranged marriage so actually not only um, are they in the Yakud with all this sort of weight of expectation on them even though obviously then they're there just to get to know each other they they don't know each other this is only sort of the third time that they've met so let's go into your little world into your uh, Yakud and and here from the honeymoon suite we've got a, a French actress who uh, is just very French and, and the poor Schlemazel or whatever he is has a bit of Jewish boy doesn't quite know what to do you know, you weren't like this at the matchmakers. Like what? You ate cake at the matchmakers. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. I saw you. I didn't. Marble cake. I put it in my bag. What? I hid it in my bag. She was a very nice woman. I didn't want to be rude. You don't mind being rude now, though, do you? Sorry. Why are you apologizing? Well, because... Traditionally, this is where they used to consummate the marriage. Can't even get you to smile. Do you want to consummate the marriage? Well, talking's not going so well. 
Alexis Zegerman, writer of The Honeymoon Suite. I mean, you're, you're writing a short film, I suppose, so you, you've got the dramatic kind of intensity of this, of this yearhood, this very short thing. Is that what made you choose this? Because, I mean, I, I, actually, my brother, I think, did something like this. They had, they had about a minute. They didn't consummate or anything. They just had a little, little time <laughs> It's <now>. optional. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, you know, um, it was, uh, like you say, the stakes are very high because they don't know each other. They're from different cultures. Uh, you know that they're going to be together for the rest of their lives, and this is the first sort of clumsy steps of them getting to know each other. How long had they known each other? Well, they'd met through the matchmaker twice before. Did the marriage last? Yes, it does. It does, because obviously at the end there is... um, I don't want to give the game away, but there's an idea of, of redemption... Obviously, marriage is kind of a big, a big theme that you were you were tackling there, Alexis. Is is is, is there a plan now as a writer to tackle more uh, more complex themes? As you I mean, you talked often about what could be more complex yeah. than marriage. Well, exactly. I'm not in one myself, but I imagine. Um, I mean, obviously, as a writer, I've just written a comedy series that's just finished on Radio Four. That's about a single mum. Um, she's one? not Jewish. No, no, she's not Jewish. Um, played by Ronnie Ancona, actually. Uh, because I know a lot of um, writers that also happen to be Jewish that are, you know, around my age. Um, I'm thinking of Ryan Craig as one who tackles. Play- I mean, he wrote plays like What We Did, uh, What We Did to Weinstein, and The Glass Room that was on at Hampstead Theatre, um, uh, as my last play was on at Hampstead. He also writes like I do plays that have nothing to do with Judaism. No. It's just that it's always there. The sensibility is always there. And right, I, you I can saw do a play that Ryan wrote our class about the, 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 the a Polish class that kind of turned. Turned, I suppose it was an allegory, wasn't it? it was they, they, turned, they turned massacre on the on the Jewish elements of that class. What is interesting uh, we explored over this kind of this time is that the Jews, Jews they get they get the laughs, uh, but in the in the modern era, it, it seems that because if you if you relate it to a sort of family element, that you can be as Jewish as you like, and people aren't now going to be put off with it because they've had a lot of Asian comedies. Linda Bassett, funnily enough, uh, I've just seen in, in West is West. She's in the, in the in Indian comedy yes. uh, now, the sequel to East is East. I, I think the key will be Jewish writers. Um, if you've got Jewish writers, you'll get Jewish themes, whether they're, they're principal themes or secondary themes. I look over to, to things in America like Curb Your Enthusiasm and Seinfeld, um, and um, you know, with and actually, Grandma's House, which is about the outsider, it's about um, not feeling part of something, which perhaps is always going to be there inside um, one's inner core. And as a writer, I suppose that is what I write, whether it's funny or whether it isn't. But I think, like you say, I think the themes are there, whether they're op- openly discussed as Jewish themes or not. Yes, I think it's knowing when to use Jewish characters and not use them. When you have an idea, whether it's an idea you want to suit a Jewish family or even one character or not. We only used Dorian in Birds of a Feather because we knew we were setting it in Chigwell. The only reason we were setting it in Chigwell because the police told us that Chigwell was the place where more houses in Britain had bought cash than anywhere else. And we knew that Tracy's husband would have bought that large house in cash. And then Morris said, you know, if we're going to set it in Chigwell, there has to be a Jew there because a lot of Jews live there. But we could have equally set it in... I don't know. I thought you. I Clapham. thought you'd got a sponsorship deal with Club Sport Velour Velour tracksuits, if only, and that meant that you had to go. Exactly. We could never go back to the David Lloyd Tennis Centre again without seeing even more look-alike Dorian. 
thank you all very much for joining me on this month's Sounds Jewish. Uh, to Lawrence Marks and Morris Grand, good luck with Von Ribbentrop's watch. To Alexis Zegman, good luck at the UK Jewish Film Festival with the Honeymoon Suite. Thank and uh, thanks to our sponsors, as ever, the Jewish Community Centre for London. From me, Jason Solomons, and my producer on Sounds Jewish, Sarah Peters, goodbye. Shalom, shalom.